Welcome to episode 12 of your MedMal podcast, Discovering the Needle. Nurse consultants help you discover what you didn't know that you didn't know about how to win your medical malpractice case. In this podcast, we look at anonymized true examples of how a behind-the-scenes, non-testifying nurse consultant was able to quickly locate, isolate, and articulate the core issues in common and not-so-common medical malpractice scenarios, using his or her nursing expertise to save the firm upfront costs, resulting in higher profits and higher compensation to your deserving client. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. You can learn more about how behind-the-scenes legal nurse consulting can improve your firm's win rates and profitability by following us on LinkedIn or visiting our website at www.nplegalconsultants.com. By following our weekly podcast, you can use your commute to sharpen your own standard of care issue spotting and causation narrative skills. Grow your virtual Rolodex of top nurse consultants of all specialties and discover the MedMal plaintiff attorney's secret weapon for slaying the medical corporate giant. It's time to discover the nurse consultant advantage. Let's get started. Today, our guest is Nicole McCutcheon. Nicole, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I always like to start with telling our guests about your clinical background. What makes you stand out as a legal nurse consultant? Tell us where you've been in your career. I've been a nurse for 11 years. I have a lot of background in the skilled nursing facility setting. So it was a 150 bed facility and I was the wound nurse. I did the rounds on the wound patients and education with the nursing staff and patients and families of the patients that had wounds. I'm certified in wound care with the National Alliance of Wound Care and Ostomy. I still work in wound care at a hospital-based outpatient facility. I do legal nurse consulting as well, and I do a lot of expert witness work. Nicole can be reached on her website at scorpiuslegalnurse.com. That's S-C-O-R-P-I-U-S legalnurse.com. I think this is the first time that we've had a wound care nurse on the podcast. That's a really awesome specialty to have in legal nurse consulting because there's so many liability issues with proper care of wounds and preventing wounds, especially in the nursing world, because preventing wounds falls squarely in the department of a nurse's role. You described being the wound care nurse on the floor with a 150-bed nursing home. I've worked on the floor before inpatient, and the wound care and ostomy nurse was always just such a great resource. Every wound is different. Every individual person is different as to what their risk factors are and how to manage the different types of wounds. And it was really helpful for me as a floor nurse to know that I had that resource to call on the wound care and ostomy nurse to help out with wound care. Tell us about the role of a wound care nurse. The wound care nurse role, so there's inpatient, but if you have a patient that has a wound, you're consulting the wound nurse or wound care team to come assess that patient. The same thing applies in the skilled nursing facility or nursing home setting. You have the one wound care nurse, typically just one, and that's who you're going to consult when you have a wound or a wound that's changing. There's also home health. So the nurses will come to the house and do the wound care. And then the other setting is where I'm practicing now, outpatient. As a wound care nurse, you're rounding, you're checking on your patients, you're checking on those wounds, you're doing your assessments, you're working alongside the nursing staff to make sure that they understand what's going on with those wounds. So 
education is a big part of the wound nurse's role, and that's educating the nurses that are working with those patients on the floor, the patients themselves, and the patient's families. And you're working with the ancillary staff, the dietitian, to make sure that the patient's getting the right nutritional diet that they need, the right amount of protein. You're working with physical therapy and occupational therapy to make sure that what they're doing isn't going to do anything to make that room to go backwards. So you're working together with everybody interdisciplinary approach to make sure that those wounds are healing because that's everybody's ultimate goal. You're working with the care plan. Everything that's changing has to be updated in the care plan. That will be read over to your CNAs. So the CNA staff is also going to know what's going on with this patient. What is that care plan saying? And what does that mean for my role in this patient's care? You're working alongside the doctors. They're rounding with you so you can get the orders that you need when things are changing because you're the one looking at these wounds and you need to notify the doctor that this wound has changed and you need a new treatment now so they can sign that order for you. You're updating the families when things are going on with the wounds. So it's a very central role. You have to work with everybody to make sure that these patients get those things that they need. I think it's probably underappreciated, even in the nursing world, let alone in the layperson world, how complex and multidisciplinary the approach is to managing wounds in any of those settings, inpatient, outpatient, nursing home, home health, or hospice even. I wasn't aware the degree to which the interdisciplinary interventions take place. That's an awesome insight. I understand that there are doctors and providers out there that specialize in wound care. In fact, you're working in an outpatient clinic. Do you work in a clinic where they have a provider that specializes in a doctor or a nurse practitioner? We have quite a few physicians at the outpatient clinic. One of them is wound care certified, and he does specialize. We have one internal medicine doctor, and we have three wound care podiatrists, another subspecialty in itself. When an attorney hires a specialty nurse as opposed to just a generalist nurse, for a case, then they can have some additional insight into the types of subspecialists that they would want to testify. There are certain cases where it would be very beneficial to get a specialist to testify that is very focused on that area of medicine. Definitely. I've looked over a case before and it was a foot wound and I actually found them a podiatrist to look at the case because there were surgical interventions and things involved that went beyond what I do in my practice as a wound nurse. But I found a podiatrist that knew that surgery inside and out and could tell you what happened that wounds. An attorney is hiring a location service. You have to tell them what kind of specialist to locate. But if you're not even aware that a podiatry wound specialist exists, how do you ask for it? Right. Yeah. You don't want just a general surgeon. You want somebody that does this foot surgery and knows it pretty well inside and out. Yeah. So that's very helpful as a wound care specialist on a wound care case to be able to provide that level of insight. In my experience as an inpatient RN prior to becoming a nurse practitioner, I don't remember encountering a wound care physician in the inpatient setting. Oftentimes the wound care nurse team is working under the direction and the orders of a hospitalist. But hospitalists may not necessarily have the intimate knowledge that you have as a wound care nurse about what kind of treatment a specific wound needs or a specific patient needs. Do you encounter that a lot where you're having to handhold the physician on what's needed for a given patient? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. The physicians rely heavily on the nurse's 
assessment of the wounds. The nurses typically are looking at these wounds a lot more frequently than the physicians get to. They can bring the physician in the room to round with them, but the nurse is going to be telling them, this wound looked like this yesterday. It looks like this today. So the most subtle change in a wound's appearance or odor or drainage, it's going to trigger a different intervention. And the nurse is going to know what intervention is going to work. And yes, typically you're kind of telling the doctor, okay, this is what's going on and I think this is what we need. And if you're not having the conversation that way, then it's the doctor saying, so what do you think they need? And if the doctor really trusts that wound nurse, he's going to just sign off on whatever orders that nurse really needs. The doctor ultimately is signing the order, but he's putting a lot of trust in that nurse because the hospitalists, they don't study this as a specialty, but the wound nurse, they know what they're looking at and they know what this wound is doing and they know what treatments are going to help. That's a very interesting interdependent dynamic between the wound care nurse and the inpatient hospitalist physician because the wound care nurse needs the orders to do the things she needs to do, but the doctor needs the nurse to tell him or her what the orders should be. That's probably something that the average layperson not having worked in a hospital may not necessarily know, that getting a physician to review a case of an incident that occurred in the hospital may not always bring the insight that using a specialty nurse would, because right. that specialty nurse is ironically the one that actually writes the orders. Yeah. A physician finds the orders, but that specialty nurse, she's the one that writes the orders. They're the ones doing those assessments. They're the ones that know what's changing and they know the products and they know what kind of interventions are going to work for the different patients. So yes, they do need those orders from the doctor, but that doctor needs that assessment from that nurse. And as you said, the doctor even sometimes needs the proper interventions to be spelled out for him by someone who has taken those certification courses and has seen more and been in the trenches more than he has or she has in that role as a wound care provider. And we really are as nurses, and this doesn't apply just to wound care, but we really are the eyes and the ears. And in the case of wound care, the nose of the yes. physician to know not only does this wound look suspicious in its current state, but does it look different or smell different than it did yesterday or the day before. And that's really subtle and something that is incredibly important in recognizing where something may have derailed. And documentation is important too, especially with that continuity of care when you're trading off shifts and you really have five or six nurses over the course of a seven-day stay, but you have one wound care nurse. And that one wound care nurse can document the subtleties and she'll use the same language and the same terminology. And so when you read that wound care nurse's notes, you're going to see the head-to-head -head comparison of what it looked like yesterday versus today and be able to see those changes. And as a legal nurse consultant reviewing a case, being able to look at a wound care nurse's notes and understand all of the uber subspecialty jargon that she's using, I think that's really advantageous as well. Yes. Yeah, that definitely helps. I can navigate the progression of a wound and see what interventions were being put into place, what the care plan is saying, what kind of documentation is supporting what's being done. As a, a wound care nurse reading a case about wound care, if it's a good wound care nurse that does her job the way you do, you can almost read that note and it's like you're 
watching it in your head and seeing that progression in your mind's eye because you've been around the block. Yes. Sometimes the notes are so good. It just paints a picture and it's like you could just close your eyes and see that wound. Yeah, that's the really good documentation that makes my job easy. Every industry has its own jargon, has its own language. But within that, you know, we've got the medical world has medical terminology, but then there's also nursing jargon and nursing terminology. Within that, you've got wound care and wound care jargon that even other nurses outside of wound care may not fully understand. That's where just finding the right nurse is really critical. First of all, she's going to do it a lot faster because she's not having to go look up every single term. That right nurse can read the same passage as another nurse. There's going to be an actual picture and like almost a movie going on in the head of the one nurse who's reading it that is very familiar with these things versus the other nurse who may be like a generalist that's looking at a wound care case and trying to figure out what's going on. And she's having to assimilate and having to piece it together to cognitively wrap her head around what's going on here when it's not something that she's actually handled. She may be able to understand it on an intellectual level but not on a sort of guttural personal level. Right. Yeah. A wound nurse would be able to read the documentation and almost be like, oh, I I know this wound now. I understand what's going on. And then that's when the documentation creates this whole timeline of events. And for a wound nurse that's done this on the floor, it really makes a difference because certain key terms are being used and it'll either paint the picture of the timeline or it'll red flag and Like, wait a minute, why is this being described this way? That doesn't follow the timeline. Something happened here. You definitely are going to be putting a wound care nurse on the stand. It may not be the same nurse as what's helping you behind the scenes, but you're going to have a wound care nurse on the stand. And for a wound care nurse to be helping to generate those questions, to guide the testimony, to produce the evidence is certainly much more effective than an attorney DIYing that, but even more effective than just a nurse doing that. If you're a wound care nurse, how does that affect your ability to produce those questions for your attorneys? If I'm reading documentation, I'm looking for certain terms to be used to describe a wound, describe the progression of the wound. Sometimes people are just thinking that I'm just looking at a measurement of a wound, but that's not, I'm looking for multiple descriptors to tell me what that wound is doing, what phase we're getting into healing. Are we going backwards? Are we deteriorating? And it shouldn't take a wound nurse very long to be able to sit down and read the documentation and know this went through the right progression of healing or it didn't. A lot of times people freak out because it looked worse before it looked better. But was that wound already that deep and we didn't know it until all that dead tissue came out of it and then it moved into the path of healing? I'm basically just educating the attorneys as to what happened with that wound. Behind the scenes, you're also empowering the attorney to be able to educate the jury through his questioning of the testifying expert. Yes. Asking the right questions to get the testifying expert to break down for the jury what's going on. And I think of it as the difference between the conversation that you would have with another wound care nurse about a wound versus the conversation you would have with a nurse on the floor about the same wound. Versus Mm -hmm. a conversation you would have with a patient or family member about the same wound. Like your language changes, your words change. And when you as a wound care nurse are able to assist an attorney behind the scenes, you can craft those questions in the language of a wound care specialist 
and then get them to provide their answer and then get them to walk that back and drop it into the language of a jury. That's highly beneficial when litigating a case to have someone who speaks that language of the testifying expert to get the evidence that you need whether it's from your own testifying expert or the opposing counsels. I'd love to hear a little bit about the case that you brought with you today. So this case involved a 78-year-old male patient that was admitted to the skilled nursing facility. There were some comorbidities that the patient was admitted with that as a wound nurse, they were things that I wanted to make sure were being addressed. He had hypertension anemia. There was a previous diagnosis of failure to thrive. So when he was admitted to the skilled nursing facility, the assessments were completed on a mission. He was admitted with no wounds. Skin was intact. Care plan was initiated right away. They already had a dietitian on board to address the failure to thrive diagnosis. They already started the turning and repositioning program that was care planned. And they did a Braden assessment, which they used to determine if the patient is at risk for developing pressure ulcers. Went through the entire admission process and everything seemed to be addressed appropriately. You listed all the things that they did do that they should have done. I think that's critical because you know what those things are to look for. So when you're even just hearing the synopsis of the case, you're thinking in your head, okay, I need to make sure that they properly assess the patient upon admission and that's going to be found. In the, in the EMR under the admission assessment and under the Braden scale location. But knowing what to look for helps you to systematically approach a case. You're not just looking for what they did wrong, but you have to identify what they did right. That is typically how I would approach a case because you just want to start from the beginning and find out where we're going with this. So what are they looking for? So I'm the wound nurse and I'm looking for all these wound things. Prevention's huge. So you have to start with prevention. So, you know, they're already care planning these things. They're already making sure that the patient's going to be turned and repositioned. They're already working on prevention. So if I start a case and those things are already missing from admission, then, you know, red flags. And now I have to figure out what happened. But if I'm starting a case like this and all of these things were in place, then I just keep moving down the timeline. It tells a story, I think, of the culture of a facility in general. If like mm -hmm. going down your checklist and you're going, yep, they did this. Yep, they did that. Hey, these guys got their systems down. And yeah. after a while, you're starting to go, I don't know that this is really all that avoidable. Yeah. And that's why I start with what did we do right? And then did a ball drop somewhere? What happened? Skin assessments were being completed regularly. There still were no wounds reported. Braden scales were being done. So what went wrong with this patient? And then on a day that there was some routine lab work drawn, the patient was showing signs of anemia, which we already knew was a diagnosis. So the patient had to be transported out to go get a blood transfusion. As they're addressing this issue, the patient laid on the transportation stretcher during their outing for the blood transfusion. I don't know if last time anybody's had to lay on a stretcher or a gurney. They're usually really a thin mattress. They're not very supportive. A stretcher is by design, very narrow. It's not designed for comfort or to protect the skin. It's designed for short-term use. It's not designed to be laid in for hours and hours upon end. Right. This patient was laying on that stretcher for hours. So the patient then returned back to the facility. And the very next day, there was a skin assessment. Lo and behold, they caught it the very next day. 
It sounds like the culture in this particular nursing home was very meticulous. Yeah. So the assessment was due. They were doing them on a weekly basis. And this just happened to be the due date. And you can see through the timeline that they stayed on track with their weekly assessments. And they did notice an area on the sacrum. If the patient was laying in that stretcher, their sacrum wasn't offloaded. And it doesn't take long for tissue on a bony prominence to lose blood flow. And that's what becomes a wound. That's what a bed sore is. Besides which, we have a patient with severe enough anemia that they needed a blood transfusion. Yes. But their blood is not carrying a good amount of oxygen to begin with. Yes. And now we have caused this area on this bony prominence for this tissue to now lose that little bit of blood flow it did have. So now we have tissue ischemia. This tissue is dying. So the tissue presented, which a layperson probably would look at and think that it was a bruise, but it was a deep tissue injury. Mm-hmm. It's like the shadow of injuries that are occurring under the surface that are just barely visible, but it hadn't broken through the skin yet. Yes. So the injury is, it's called a deep tissue injury. It's not an ulceration on the surface of the skin. It's not a superficial wound. These things, typically the damage is so deep, you don't know how bad it is until it actually does open up. As soon as they found that deep tissue injury, they put a low loss air mattress on the patient's bed. There was another instance where the patient did need another blood transfusion. So this was probably three weeks later. He was back out at the hospital getting another transfusion on the stretcher again. The wounds started opening up around that time. So they continued with the turning and repositioning, but this is a more pressure-relieving device now for the patient on the bed. The nursing home did this? Yes. Okay. Which is pretty standard. You know, low-loss air mattress applied to the bed when there is a pressure ulcer, especially a sacral pressure ulcer. It doesn't take the place of turning and repositioning the patient, but it does offer a little more pressure relief. So another win for the nursing home to yes. the liability there. Yes. So ultimately, reviewing all the records and looking at the timeline of events with this wound, I had to redirect where we were looking because the nursing home, I felt, did what they were supposed to do. And the patient wound up, unfortunately, with these wounds but not because of something that the nursing home didn't do. All the standards of care, they were doing everything they were supposed to be doing for that patient. And as soon as something did happen, the next day they found that deep tissue injury on the sacrum and they documented everything. They added a new intervention. They notified the physician. They notified the family. Everything that they were supposed to do, it was like going down all the checks in the box. Yes, there was a wound. And yes, it developed. And no, it was not present on admission. Sometimes it's not so cookie cutter. In this one, the wound deterioration in the timeline of events just didn't follow anything that the nursing home was doing. So you were able, as a wound care nurse specifically, to go in and identify all of the things they did right for this plaintiff attorney so that they knew not to go in the direction of the nursing home for liability on this. Unfortunately, nursing homes get a bit of a bad rap when it comes to pressure ulcers. Not to say that they never happen in nursing homes. They do. Hence why I think that assumption can really easily be made. If a layperson attorney is trying to DIY this and doesn't know what to look for in terms of the right interventions, they need a nurse to to look at those and see if they did occur. Because the last thing you want to do is point the finger in the wrong direction or not call out 
the correct entity because you can wind up where that plaintiff doesn't have any compensation at all, even though it was something preventable. I felt like from the beginning, they had done so many things right that I was having to look somewhere else already. I was like, wow, that's really important for a plaintiff attorney. You want a behind the scenes nurse consultant to point out to you all of the issues with the narrative that your plaintiff or your plaintiff's family want the story to be. You want that nurse who's going to come in without the emotions and to say, actually, the documentation doesn't support that narrative. And this is what really happened. And you can really respect that because Thank goodness you didn't dive into a case where there really wasn't enough evidence or worse, where there was evidence to the contrary. And it sounds like on this case, if you had been the defense attorney's nurse behind the scene, it would have been the same exact product. You're producing all of the same evidence and, and just saying these are the facts. And for the nursing home, they happen to fall into the realm of defense facts. And for the the hospital, you could present those same facts as being for the plaintiff. And yeah. sometimes that's just how it works out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you were able to really help that attorney know who to point that liability to. Sometimes they didn't even have it on their radar that it could be that potential facility. Once you had established that the nursing home had heavy evidence and documentation to the contrary of what your attorney first felt that narrative to be, what's your next step in trying to help the plaintiff? Because it sounds like in this case, there's liability somewhere. What do you do next? The focus then comes off of the nursing home. So we had to switch gears. Hey, how about we look at these hospital records and see when the patient was there and what kind of documentation they have to say what they did for that patient in the emergency room. If they say anything about turning or repositioning or offloading, if there's anything that we can use to support that they actually were doing those things there, then that would really make some sort of a difference. But there there wasn't because they just focused on the transfusion. That's what the patient was there for. Transfused sent the patient back to the nursing home and they had no documentation to say anything about what kind of support surface the patient was on other than on that stretcher. And they had nothing to say. They did anything to offload any pressure points, turn the patient, reposition the patient. There was no documentation. But what's interesting is that the timeline that you're able to extract from the nursing home records with the going and the coming is enough to point the finger at the hospital. It's the only other explanation. And you've ruled out this other entity. Timeline-wise, it makes sense. It wasn't there when he left. It was there when he came back. That would be really hard evidence to overcome. At the end of the day, this was a very vulnerable patient. And it's not normal to be on a stretcher for so many hours. At a certain point, any nurse should realize that they've got reasons to to take interventions for prevention, even if you don't document them. So what? Still have to do them. Yeah. And by virtue of the fact that this outcome occurred and the timing of when it occurred, doesn't look good. No, it doesn't. Thank you so much for bringing this story. This has been a really interesting conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Discovering the Needle. Nurse consultants help you discover what you didn't know that you didn't know about how to win your medical malpractice case. This podcast is a production of Discovery NP Legal Consultants. Discovery is the largest unified growing force of specialty nurse practitioners offering consulting services to medical malpractice attorneys who take cases for the plaintiff. Nurse practitioners, specialty consultants to the legal profession at Discovery NP Legal Consultants include specialists in wound care. To request a consultation or to be featured as a legal nurse consultant on our podcast, 
you may reach us on our website at www.nplegalconsultants.com or by calling 208-779-1990. That's 208-779-1990.